Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my asses. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh is the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. This is episode 99. Yes, we are almost at episode 100. This week's guest is comic book writer and artist Dan Doherty, most known for Beardo and Touching Evil, and most recently illustrated Cosa Nostra and wrote Floppy Cop. During our chat, we talked about working on Cosa Nostra with Dirk Manning, and on Floppy Cop with Seth DeMoose, Milena DeNano, and J.P. Foskett. And we also talked about the mental health side of working on comics with dark material, working pop culture conventions, building your audience, the idea of risk when choosing projects, and the creative freedom of working with friends. So let's get on to my interview with Dan Doherty. Yeah, recently I, I um I picked up the you know floppy cop comic book and also the the ghost variant of uh, Cosa Nostra. What are some of the things that you've been working on these days? Yeah, that's a good question because I haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk about the new stuff. It's always like you know people talk about the old things. So the new stuff I'm really excited about. So what I've been up to these days, like what's been going on? Yes. Yeah, I uh, I kind of had this this really busy uh spring um collaborating with a couple different creators dirk and i dirk manning and i which um three big kickstarter uh uh funded create own projects so basically he does like tales of mystery and um and nightmare world and we we've been talking for a bit about uh, like what do we do together since i also uh have dabbled a little bit in that that genre with my touching evil series so uh you know, we've added it around for a bit. We've been friends for a long time now, so it's been an ongoing conversation. And, and finally, arrived on this Cosa Nostra book, which is really awesome. Like, I'm I'm happy that that's the thing that we we settled upon because I think it's the best use of our collective skills. Um, it let me go back to doing some tr- like some traditional ink washing stuff on a very noir, black and white kind of book. Um, so that's been keeping me pretty busy. Uh, the book is 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 uh, going to be about four issues long, and it's about this this twin who discovers that his his um, his mafia uh, <laughs> tied uh, twin brother has been murdered, 
and the, his ghost has come back to basically blackmail him into helping him avenge his death. Like he's like, he's he's not taking no for an answer. This ghost and <laughs> right, man, that brother then, is an asshole. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> I had a fun time drawing him too, because like he's such a dick. <laughs> so I'm like really trying to come up with the the facial expressions that I thought were best for his. Uh, for just the, the, how he how he conducts himself, like he's, you know, he's got he's got that kind of wise guy um, language, uh, which I I gotta ask Dirk, like if they actually spoke out loud, like does the does the good uh, twin does he speak normally and like his his twin brother <laughs> like is like oh hey what's going over here forget about it then his other right. twin like you're from like <laughs> you're from Ohio <laughs> like what are you doing I don't know but. Uh, I acting out as, um, you know, on, on, the, on the good twin side as kind of a pushover and then as the bad ghost twin as a total monster. Um, and Dirk says it's his most evil villain to date, so get ready for some, some terrible stuff to happen in the next issues. Yeah, Costa Nostra is really good. I, I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, where this comic book goes. Thanks, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to tell the story with Dirk, too. It's been, it's been really uh, a lot of fun getting getting to like to collaborate with somebody um that i was you know friends with first and i've always enjoyed his work and he's, he's enjoyed mine so like we're we're fans of each other and friends and now it's like we're we're cohorts um and then to to answer the other part of it uh with floppy cop um you know that came about sort of in reaction to the the book i just described as well as other books like um you know, between working on Costa Nostra and working on my my supernatural thriller Touching Evil, um, you get in this headspace day to day that gets a little uh, murky. Like it's it's kind of like it gets heavy, man. Like it's it's really dark sometimes, and you know, like especially when I have to write the Touching Evil stuff, I have to really go into some places uh, for the characters that I got to be mindful of of am I hitting the right tone so like you kind of get in character a little bit it gets, it gets to be a bummer and so I was talking about this with uh, Seth the Moose who um, we also have braider since Seth does uh, uh, a good chunk of the mystery books with him and he had just come off what he said was the most like grueling um, mentally draining uh, run of drawing on the, the latest issue of Tales, or a latest book, I should say, of Tales of Mystery, because apparently, and I haven't read it yet, but apparently it is a beast. Like, this <laughs> thing is like, nobody's safe in it, and like, right. <laughs> bad things happen to good people, and like, I don't know what's going on in there, but I'm dying to know. Um, and so we were just like, you know, sort of venting about that together at a show, and I'm like, we need to do something together that's goofy and fun. And so enter Floppy Cap, which I was, thought was the goofiest thing I could think of. Um, he's a cop with balls of steel and no spine in his back whatsoever. <laughs> so he flops around. And like the, the the visual of him is is funny enough to me as it is. Like without even writing anything, just just looking at him on paper or in my mind cracks me up every time. Um wanted to see uh like i wanted to work with seth for a long time again and i i wanted to do something funny with him because he's so fun like his his art's one of my favorite um like i don't know how to put this but it's it's kind of like uh, an amusement park that i could just go and you know ride all the rides on all, all the time and just feel good again um to see him take this fun stop for uh, Mr. E and, and um, it shows how, how versatile he is but I really just wanted to see him do some funny goofy stuff and he wanted to as well And um, so Floppy Cop is just the result of that and we're working in issue 2 right now and it's got some of the funniest things I've ever seen in it like especially seeing how he, he draws it's, it just makes it so much better but yeah the premise of that is it's just really it's about this cop who has <laughs> you don't know why he doesn't have a backbone yet but like it's just not there, so he's flopping around, and he's got a wonderful cast of characters around him, both um, good and bad. But it's meant to be just something to remind you to laugh and be 
you know, and have, have fun with comics. That's kind of the, the message of that book is just, it's fun. Did, uh, did Seth come up with the, the visuals for that, uh, floppy cop? Um, you know, not just the floppy cop itself. Did he come up with that? Yeah. Um, in fact, we made a point, um, we, when we work together, you know, he knows that I, you know, I draw a lot of my own stuff and, and this actually was a milestone for me, this book, because it was the first book that I've written and not illustrated. Um, I've always, any project that I wrote, I drew it. Um, mostly cause you know, like it's hard to find somebody that will collaborate with you, especially when you, I was early on coming up in, in comics. Um, now it's, you know, uh, manable and knowing, you know, like I know a ton of artists, and I know a ton of writers and I can, I can talk to them, but you know, our time is valuable and it's, it's hard to get things working. So when we came together on this thing, you know, he was like, do you have any character sketches for it? And I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, but I'm, I don't want to show you. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to draw them. I don't want you to see it and then just do my take on it. I wanted the Seth the Moose take. I'm like, I, I don't want to have any influence on the visual. I, I just, all I did was I told him the description, you know, like any script would do. Right. Uh, and we, you know, we like to, we're, we're treating this, we're co-creators on this. You know, it's not like I hired him out or like he hired me or whatever. Like we both put our skin in the game in this one. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be in that spot to like, pull any of that fun away from him i'm like just you know you you've got to own that and plus you, you i want him to have fun with it and so he came back with all these amazing concept sketches and character sketches and he pretty much nailed floppy cap from the first go almost i think he got like it was either first or second take like he got exactly the kind of <laughs> funny look he wanted in fact i think that his the one of his first takes ended up being the the uh, image you see on the inside front cover and I just had it colored up and, and we put it in there, but like, it was just so, it was so spot on. I'm like, this is, this is the guy. Aside from doing a uh, floppy cop to get away from sort of like that, all this heavy stuff that you're, you're involved in, you know, how do you sort of deal with that? Like sort of mental health aspect of, you know, writing and creating these really heavy uh, stories that you know like you said your your mind can get sort of murky at times like you know diving deep into it you know so how do you sort of deal with that mental health aspect of it that's a good question um honestly that that's a question i think most people more people should ask because i've actually it's been a very interesting summer for me um particularly because of juggling you know two heavy books and then one funny book and then you know you know i got like I got, you know, I got a wife and two kids and there's all this day-to-day stuff. And yeah, like, I'll be honest, like, I, I have been leaning on my, my things that I go to for, for a fresh perspective quite a bit lately. And, and one thing that I do a lot is I go for like kind of long runs, um, hopefully by myself, but uh, lately I've been having to push a, a two seater stroller. <laughs> right. Um, but when I need to get my, my head clear, um, I kind of just take a run and I, I, the closest thing I can get to like my time to kind of decompress and get, you know, kind of get, get away from that stuff. Um, and you know, it, it's also hard in the summer because there's not a whole lot of conventions. Conventions I, I love doing, you know, for the most part, I, I, there's a lot more that I love about conventions than, you know, any of the, the um, perceived negatives of them, like, you know, the, it's a lot of hard work doing those, but I love them because I get to connect with, like, my, my fans and my friends and, like, colleagues and all that, and, like, when I get a couple of those under my belt, I feel like I could take on the world, like, I, I get this, like, kind of uh, a high off of it, and so I haven't had that, like, a, a proper convention since um, May, I think. And I'm I'm kind of jonesing for one. I'm like I'm like I got luckily I got a string of them coming up in the fall. I got um, well I've got a signing at Comic Signal in a week from tomorrow, but then I've got um, uh, Wizard World Chicago, Dragon Con, um, Keystone Comic Con, which is in Philly, and then New York Comic Con and Kokomo Con, all within the span of about two months. So like I'll go from not having that at all to having more of it than I can possibly wrap my head around, but it's, it's a good thing. I think mentally to, you know, kind of reconnect 
and get away from my drawing table so much. What do you like the most uh, about doing the conventions? What you know? What is some of the the conversations that you're having with your fans? Um. Yeah. Another good question. I um. Well, I mean, it is to me, really, it truly is the people that I get to see there. I mean, you know, you get you get crazy people too. Like, it's there's a certain element of it that you can look at as as almost like retail if you if you think of it that way, and that that can be a little bit uh, tough, but. I've been doing conventions for, I don't know, I mean, my whole adult life, basically, so 15-something years, 15 years, and I I know pretty much without any real um, exceptions that I can go to a convention and I will know some people there. And so I can, I can connect with friends I, I only get to see at these shows because we all live so far away from each other. Um, and we talk about you know, like whatever is on our mind, it's, it's rarely, um, anything bad or anything. It's just, it's always, it's always just kind of like, you know, like what's going on, um, and what are you working on? And, and can I show you this? Cause I, you know, like a lot of times we can't really show the work we're working on out in the public, but you know, I, I want an opinion on something and I can go to <laughs> my buddy and think of this and they can be like, Oh, you're going to draw on that, that arm better or something like whatever it is <laughs> and uh and it's fun because you they're they get it like you know you're you're dealing with fellow creators and it, there's a very um i think there's a certain type of person who does conventions at least in the way that i would feel like they're a, a, a comrade like people who've done it for you know more than five years that they really kind of know some of the the hard knocks and some of the like realities of it. And, and they, you know, they just kind of talk to you like that. And like, that's, that's always um, the kind of conversation that I can't really get anywhere else. And then of course, like I said, like seeing my fans or like hearing that somebody read something that I, I did a while ago and finally come to you and say like, Hey, that was, you know, that was really cool or scary or funny or whatever. Right. There's like a very delayed gratification in comics of, you know, by the time you somebody reads something, it might be it might be something that I worked on as much as like nine months ago, or maybe even a year ago, and like they're finally seeing it, and they're like, "Dude, I love that." I'm like, "Well, good to know them because it's been this long." <laughs> you know, it's like, what if it sucked? Like, they're like, yeah, "This is this is terrible." Like, and then you're like, "Oh, well, it's been out there for nine months now, and you finally told me this." No, and uh, so you know, like, there's like this really kind of delayed gratification i think of in terms of the work uh, um and i think actually like i think you know he's you make a movie and like two years later it comes out and, and you almost have to remember what you did on set when it happened when you talk to people about it but it's kind of the same with comics I feel like it's like you know the thing i'm working on now in my lap right here won't see the light of day for at least six months so it's nice when people come up and say like, "Hey, I I like that because it it kind of reaches all the way back into the past and tells you that you did something good." What do you think it takes for a comic book creator to be successful? You know, doing the the convention circuit. Um, I think uh, patience is certainly a lot a lot to do with it. Um, you have to. You, you have to be, I think, a bit thick-skinned um, when it comes to getting people that don't want to buy your stuff, or uh, they don't, you know, like you, or you know, even seeing like other creators that you're near that are killing it, and you're just sitting there with with tumbleweed like that. That happens to everybody, um, and there's there's a lot of that you have to to learn to deal with while you find your audience, and I think that's the thing that you have to keep your, your eyes set on is like, who is my audience? Who am I really trying to talk to? And you can't, can't really, um, I, I don't, you can just make it up out of thin air. Like it kind of becomes this ragtag bunch of people that come from all walks of life and are all different. And, and they just happen to have some sort of sensibility in common with each other in terms of liking what you do. But what it does do, I think is it makes you more aware of, like what you're trying to do and say, you know, like I think when I first started off, I was very, um, 
I don't know, like I, I didn't have like a set um, idea of who I wanted to be and like, and I didn't know what the right path was. And so the more conventions you do, you start seeing what, what wouldn't be something you want to do. You know, like I don't want to be the wall of Prince guy or like, I don't want to be the, the tchotchke person or like the just, just doing commissions. Like, you know, like I want to be the guy with like my art and my, um, my writing out and out front and center. And then, uh, you know, I want people who like my art to come up and commission something or like buy something, but they, I want them to like my art and not like, you know, something that I did that I thought they would please them. You know, like I've done that too. Like I've done all that stuff at this point because I've, again, I've been doing this for a long time. So I've done stuff that I knew was going to be an easy crowd pleaser and I enjoyed it actually. Like it wasn't a bad thing to do. Um, but I found that the longer I went with that, I got bored with it and didn't feel like it was serving my long game, which was to be, you know, a version of myself that I felt good about people, um, you know, putting their eyes on. And, and I think that that's the struggle that if you're a newcomer that really cares about trying to be a convention uh, person or like a, just a, a, a public figure in general, like, cause we are essentially public figures. Like if you want to be that it, it conventions help temper and, and refine your idea of who you want to be because you just kind of, you're kind of dashing yourself against the rocks and, and you know, smoothing yourself out as you go. What sort of mind state do you have to be in to figure out what your audience is and what, and what should, you know, creators do to sort of continue to build that up once they realize who their audience is? Um, well, I, that's a, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's one set answer to that. I think some people may have a clearer vision of who they want to be than I did or do. You know, I think some people know, like, I want to be a cover artist for, for DC. Like, I want to draw, you know, I want to draw Spider-Man monthly or like, you know, they have that like, and I mean this in a good way, like that tunnel vision of like, I, I want to be that guy, you know, or that I want to be even maybe down to an artist. Like maybe they want to be like, um, I don't know, Paul Pope or something like that. Like, you know, where they just, they see it, that's what they want to do. And in a way that, that cuts out a lot of the, the BS of trying to figure yourself out. <laughs> right. You just know, you just know, like, I want to be this guy. And that's, that's cool. Like I, um, I knew that I wanted to tell stories and I wanted them as much as possible to be my stories, you know, like, and I love telling, like being a part of other people's stuff too. Like that's actually made me a better storyteller. Um, but I, I think that I had to figure that out, um, by being open to falling flat on my face a lot. Like floppy cop could have been a flop. Like I was ready to make that joke. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh, this sucks, man. I'm like, yeah, it's a total flop. Cop. <laughs> and just just be a total like a dad joke cornball about it um and luckily people loved it but it was a total departure from everything people knew about me like the, the closest thing i would have is like beardo which is funny but it's more like slice of life autobiographical autobiographical stuff and um and so floppy cops like totally different and i i like doing that like i like kind of um trying something new and being, I wouldn't say like trying to reinvent myself, but being a little bit more like a chameleon and adapting to, you know, certain, um, genres or stories and, and, and just seeing how, like pushing myself to, to see if I can make it good, you know? And I've got a pile of stuff here that sucks. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's like all kinds of ideas that are half formed or, or not working or just fail, you know, not failures, but they're, they're the reason why the other thing works is because I already worked through a bunch of things that didn't, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think for people like it's, I think it's okay to, to, to fail quote unquote, um, because it, it shows you're willing to take that, that risk and, and not just be pigeonholed as like just the guy who does, you know, one thing or the, the girl who, who is known for this. And, and like, I, I would have a hard time, staying active and interested in art if I, if I just kept doing the same thing all the time. How do you stay sort of being that chameleon to doing different sort of things 
when at the same time, whatever you're working on might not even see the light of day for nine months to a year plus, you know, how do you sort of compartmentalize everything? It's a, that's a great, I mean, again, you got some great questions about like, I think a lot of artists will appreciate the questions you're asking because I'm sure they have an answer in their head too. Hmm. Um, it's, it's not easy. And, um, I'd like to say it gets better with age, <laughs> but I feel some, I feel like sometimes it gets worse. Like I, I constantly, I have to like, I have to like categorize the doubts in my head as, is this helping or hurting what I'm doing right now? Cause I have doubts that I think are valid. Like, you know, maybe what I'm doing needs a, another, another round of revisions or like, maybe I need to not work on this project because it's not good for my mm. career versus, um, you know, one that might be a risk, but could be lead to good things or whatever. You know, like I, those, those doubts are good doubts. Cause those are like things I can quantify. Um, but there's some that are just like, you know, like the, the, the old, like, shouldn't you just go get a real job doubt, you know, like those thoughts or like, um, uh, am I a good enough artist? Um, am I a good enough writer? And like, I, I've learned that there, those thoughts are always going to be there. Um, but I've learned how to at least, uh, not let them get in my way. Um, because like, what's the point of letting them do that? Like, it, it's right. only going to make things, they're only going to validate themselves or be like a self-fulfilling prophecy if I really listen to them. Mm. So instead, I'm just, okay, let me actually deal with the doubts that I can do something about, you know? That rhymed. That was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't mean to, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of artists probably feel the same way. And I think what you should keep in mind if you're uh, maybe less um, less in this than people that are, you know, 10 years in or 15 years in is that it's almost good to hear that people who you respect, like I love hearing artists that I admire and respect um be real about that and say like hey look i'm i struggle with you know um self-doubt depression um you know feeling of worthlessness or like not no value like or that i'm not good enough like that's everybody like at least if you care like if, if you care about what you're doing you're going to feel those things and so i think it's good when people talk about that stuff because too often um you know you get these artists who uh not only feel that way, but uh, because they're artists, they don't get out very much because uh, they're working a lot. And so you have a lot of time with yourself, a lot of <laughs> solitary time. That's no good for anybody. No, no, no. Got to like, you got to get out and find that thing to, to reconnect to humanity. Um, because, it, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, you still got to be a person too. And um, that's, again, so that goes back to what I'm saying. Like, I like when people talk about you know, being a real person with, with doubts and flaws and everything. When you're going from project to project, do you feel like any of your projects are almost like going down an easier route than any of the other ones? Meaning, you know, do you feel like this will be maybe an easier time to a su success or do you feel like everything's just a risk? Uh, no, I mean, you know, there's some projects that, um, you know, I've gotten a little bit choosier and, and I, I'm lucky in a lot of ways. And one of them is that I've, I've, I've been around a long, long enough to have a nice little fan base built up that I know I can count on to help, um, at least get that, that initial momentum that I need, you know, like, you know, cause a project needs to get out there and get the word out and like, you know, you gotta get retailers to order you. If you have a publisher, you gotta get them excited about it. You gotta, you know, you gotta do all these things ahead of time that are like businessy sort of stuff. Um, and I also have, you know, I get to, I get to be a little bit more selective with who I choose to work with now. You know, I used to be like, I would take anything that came my way and I, I'm not knocking any of those projects. They were work. They were, they were what I needed to do, but like, you know, sometimes they weren't, a, I wasn't the right fit. It was uh, not fight for it sort of now, like, you know, like, I'm working with friends mostly. Like I work with people that I, I value their work and I, they value mine. And, you know, we, if we argue about anything, it's not an argument. It's more like a, just a discussion about 
is this working or is it not? It's great. Um, but some projects are easier um, than others. I think Floppy Cop is actually um, kind of, if I'm in the right mood, it's easy as I'll get out. Like if I'm feeling uh, goofy, basically, if I'm <laughs> feeling like, uh, I, like I, I kind of follow my mood lately. Like when it comes to doing stuff, I'm like, if I'm feeling in the mood to be, um, a floppy cap guy today, that's what I'm going to do. Like, or at least I'm going to devote like an hour or two to that and see where it goes. Um, whereas if I'm feeling kind of mindless sometimes and I just want to draw, then I'll jump on whatever, you know, whatever fires in front of me first. Like, you know, cause I got like probably like four or five things going at once usually. And I, um, I kind of, there's a, there's an advantage to that. Even though it sounds daunting, um, is that it, it's a pretty easy cure for, um, creative blocks. Right. If you have a bunch of different fire, you just go to the one that's cooking the best for you at that moment. You know, like if the other ones are, are cold, they'll, they'll heat up again. Just, you know, <laughs> they will. Like, I, I feel like I've told this to a lot of my students at the school, like, you know, like if you have a couple things going and then you just don't, you don't try so hard to force it. Like it'll, it'll happen. You know, like your best ideas tend to come like, when you're not trying to think about it, like when you're in the shower or driving in the car, like all of a sudden you're like, that's it. That's the thing, you know? And if you feel that way, if you can learn to, to harness that, like it can be a very powerful uh, tool. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably enough to on this subject, but like, yeah, the, right now I'm pretty blessed because I have uh, some good, um, projects that I'm genuinely excited about and I'm not like it's not just a paycheck it's like it's part of my what I would consider to be like my um, I don't know portfolio my brand or whatever like my who I am you know part of the, the stable when so. after all these years when you now have this sort of circle of, of friends that you get to work with how much does that lead to your creativity uh, like the circle of friends? Yeah. It's really cool to have um, people around me to, to bounce off ideas and for them to bounce ideas off of me. And, um, like I, I was, you know, currently I've got, I've got Dirk and I on Costa Nostra. I've got Seth and I, and um, to some extent, uh, Jay Fosgett on the cover. Like he's, he's somebody that I really um respect and admire the hell out of and, and he's like one of my favorite artists and it's great to like you know be able to just reach out to him and say like here's what we're going to do for issue two like I'm, he's actually going to be and i kind of i part of me wanted to tell him like draw this and part of me again wants to just leave him alone and like let him do his thing because i just think he's so and can come up with whatever um he wants and i love it uh and that's that's not always the case with everybody. Like, you know, some people, if I hired certain people or if I wanted to work with people, like I'd have to give them a lot of direction. And, um, and then there's just some people who I just feel are part of that creative energy that I already, um, espouse. And I'm, I'm like, let's just have at it. Uh, like when I was saying like with Dirk, um, we, uh, we had a car ride, I think to Philadelphia and for a convention and, um, you know, he was driving and I was in the passenger seat with a notepad. And I think we basically scripted out or mapped out the whole script in that car ride. And that was fun to do. Like it was, <laughs> you know, kind of cool to be able to just say like, oh, what if we, what if we had this beat here? Or what if, you know, act two was a little bit, you know, different. And, and maybe we introduce a character here that's going to pay off there. And, and those, those kind of questions I love all day. Like I love the strategy of creativity, like just, you know, mapping out the story um but it's it's fun too to like even just look at people's instagrams or facebooks that i i follow and i i kind of do that in the morning just to kind of see what people are up to and i love you know i got a lot of people who have who post pretty regularly and it's always fun to like wake up to like a new drawing from like jay fosgett or <laughs> uh jenny frizen or um trad Moore. like you know like i just kind of see these things i'm like oh game on like they got some cool stuff and now i gotta i gotta <laughs> uh, riff off that when you know when you're working with these uh with these people that uh you know you're friends with and you just sort of give them their space to like here come up with something i'm gonna give you a little bit of 
you know, some guidelines, but I want you to sort of, you know, show me what you're thinking. You know, what sort of creativity comes out of you when you see what they get? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, like the best example right now is Floppy Cat because I, you know, with, with Cosa Nostra, uh, Dirk, you know, he, he hands me the script and I usually have a pretty good idea already because we'd already, again, we'd mapped it out beforehand. So like I'm, I'm expecting certain things that he, he talked about. Right. And, um, and I enjoy, uh, from a artist standpoint on his stuff, um, interpreting and, and sort of massaging the details out of the script, um, so that it flows as, as effortlessly as possible. Like my goal is for you to just not notice, you know, the art until second reading, you know, like where you go like, Oh man, like, you know, so now that I've read through it, let me look at it again. Cause that's what I always used to do when I was <laughs> a kid, I would, I would blaze through the story and then I would go back and read it again with like a more scrutinizing eye, like see how they, how they did it. And so on that um, front, you know, it's fun to get a script uh, like with Dirks that tends to be uh, pretty conversational. He's kind of a conversational, talky kind of guy. Like he's not beating you over the head with it, but he likes to like, you know, let his characters say some stuff and breathe and and act and react. So um, that's a good challenge from a storytelling standpoint, visually to, you know, to craft something that doesn't feel just like two talking heads back and forth. Like, I hate that stuff where like, I hate, I not hate, but that's a strong word, but like, I'm, I always feel like the, some of the best scenes are the ones where nothing's happening and you have to, you know, except for somebody talking, you know, and you have to really like use the room and the characters to, uh, to make it come to life. So conversely with Seth, you know, I, I send him the script and a lot of times he doesn't know what's going to happen in it. Like he knows some of the broad strokes, but he doesn't know like some of the detours that I might take or like the weird, the weird, there's, there's something in issue too that I don't, I don't want to say yet, but it's, I couldn't stop laughing as I was writing it. It's so dumb, but it has, it has something to do with the story, but it, it, I, it's, it's, it, I describe it as like, you could probably cut it from the story and it would still the story would still run this course but i have a feeling when people read this it's going to be their favorite part of the of the book like <laughs> just because of of how much it stays true to the the heart of what floppy cop is which is supposed to be you know to do goofy dumb and sometimes inappropriate stuff to make you laugh so when i get stuff back from seth like it's just a whole i try to write to seth and i know his style and i I feel like I have some small advantage as somebody who's an artist and a writer of understanding what an artist would, would, would want to see, or at least I hope that's what's happening. But, you know, Seth's got his own um, particular, um, like, style and skill set, and, and he still, like, manages to surprise me and make me laugh in ways that I didn't expect, and it's just so much fun. It makes me... It makes me want to write like a hundred stories just and like, and then like have <laughs> Seth quit everything else and just draw them because I want to just, it's like, it's selfishly just wanting to play with his. Um, but it's really great, man. Like I love, um, I think that's what I love about these creator owned projects. Cause you don't get to have the same kind of freedom when there's, there's all these other hands in the pot, you know, like, um, when you, when you have people who are, we're all professionals, but we're all kind of doing what we feel is our vision and we don't have to really answer to anyone but ourselves. Like, and I don't take that lightly. I take that really seriously. I think what comes from that can be some, some of the best comics that you're going to get. Right. Definitely. You also uh, teach, um, you uh, teach comics in Chicago. Talk more about that. Yeah, um, I teach at the International School of Comics uh, in Chicago. Um, this, I'm going into my uh, fourth year there now, which is crazy to me. I gotta um, pinch myself sometimes thinking about that because uh, it just feels like it was yesterday I started there. But um, I teach there with with Jill Thompson, uh, um, who's a multi Eisner award winning super goddess creator. <laughs> uh, she 
you know, you'll know her from like Scary Godmother and um, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, True Amazon and Sandman. Like she, her, her resume is like, you know, it's top shelf. Like you can't really get much better than, than Jill. Um, so I get to teach alongside her. And then um, one of my dear friends, well, we're all friends, but um, Doug Klauba, who's the guy who actually brought me in, um, was somebody I always, I've always looked up to because he's a phenomenal artist. Again, you know, award-winning painter and just a, a a guy who knows his stuff in terms of um, like every facet of of storytelling and visual arts, and like it's just inspiring to be alongside these people. And then what's even cooler is that you get students coming in, um, and they're all pretty much adults because uh, our we have a three-year program and it's geared towards you know adults. So I mean, my youngest student was like 18 but i had students as old as like 40 uh who all are very passionate about you know telling their stories through comics and so they want they want an experience that goes beyond just um what you would get like in an illustration course um or even like a graphic design course so you're we're we're doing that sort of stuff plus adding this element of visual storytelling that only comics can do you know like yeah. that allows you to um really cut to the core of like what you want to say i think that's what's what's great about comics is that like it's the definition of you know of uh, words and pictures together i think comics you know like I, I think that that's that's really what that is and that that's my favorite way of expressing stuff and and everything uses words and pictures somehow so um so these guys really get a a, a pretty thorough three-year education that combines you know fundamentals and life drawing and all the the core stuff that you get with an, an, a traditional art program with um the comics storytelling process and we talk a lot about business too like we talk about like you know like if what you want to do to set yourself up as a, as a creator you know like uh putting yourself out there online and how to do it um uh, if you want to be the kind of person to, to start doing shows, like, you know, we try to um, educate them on, on how to approach that and what it's like and, like, the realities of it. Like, I, I always tell my students, like, um, with, with no uh, bias or spin on it, like, here's what happened at this show for me. Like, I did great or I did terrible or what I think I could have done better, you know, just so they get real actual experience. That's what I always wanted from my education that I felt like I didn't get. So I always tell them like the reality of, you know, Kickstarters and, and conventions and fan bases and all the fun stuff that goes along <laughs> with being this, this person trying to make comics. <laughs> nice. To sort of wind down this interview, if there's sort of a nugget of knowledge that you could extract from your life and career that anybody listening to this, whether they're a comic book creator or not, could sort of apply to their own life, what what would that be? Um, you know, recently I've been thinking about um, criticism, like hearing it or giving it. Um, and I think for me, what I, you know, it's, I, I talked about this with somebody else recently too, but I, I wanted to kind of expand on it. Um, you know, it's, it's as somebody who's now a teacher, I have to criticize my students, you know, like, and it's such a negative sounding word, but it's really not like it's, you know, cause I, I, I only have their best intentions at heart. Like I'm, I'm not like, well, I'm going to show this guy, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to tear him down a peg. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Like, I, I don't want to do that to them. Like, they're my, they're my students. They're, I'm trying to make them better. Right. But you have critiques and you have feedback or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it's interesting being on the other side of it, of giving it more than, than getting it. Cause I remember getting it a lot, you know, from editors and from my, my teachers and from fans, you know, like sometimes it's hard to take. And I've, I've, I think back on times like when I see a student take it hard, I have to remember that I also probably took something like that hard once, you know, like that it's that they've got feelings and that they're putting themselves out there and that this is hard enough for them. And, and like their confidence might not be there yet because it's, you know, they haven't accomplished things yet that they want to accomplish. Like, they, and they will, if they just keep at it. But, but I think criticism is the one thing I, I would say, like, you have to learn how to 
exist with it. Like, and as you take more of it, and my, my advice would be to take as much of it as you can, like just to, you know, welcome it and, and be like, Hey, like I got to know more about what I'm doing right and wrong. And you'll start getting people who say stuff and, and you'll start to develop like an ear for it. Like, a like, are they telling me this because they need to say something or do they actually have something to say? You know, like some people just have to say something because they have to, they have to chime in. Even right. if they, what they say is like meaningless or it has no relevance to what you're talking about. They just have to say something. You're like, okay, I can put that aside and I don't really feel like that did anything, you know, or somebody will say something and it has a lot of punch and it hits you right in the gut and it might even hurt a little bit. And if, it, if, if you can tell the person all intended, then it probably struck a chord of truth and you're just having a hard time dealing with it. You know, you're just like, ah, he's right. My line weight is terrible. Or like, <laughs> I'm using the wrong pens or my, my pacing in this was bad or whatever it is. But like, if they say it and, and you already knew, like in your head, you might've thought that too. Like you're on to something there and you start just learning, like from taking a lot of criticism, like what to put, you know, in one category and what to put in another. And then just some people who are just jerks and they just want to, you know, like trolls or whatever, like they just want to be hateful. Like you can put that in a category and throw it in the garbage, you know, like, so, you know, all that combined, like, I think the only way to do it is to be open to taking it, like to, you know, to go to drink and draws and or go to wherever people are hanging out that are artists and just say, like, here's what I'm working on, you know, thoughts, and then just see what happens. Um, but that's, if you can do that and, and learn to exist with criticism, I think you're on the right track. Yeah, I always like to uh, end all my interviews with the same question. Who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview and they would have some great stories or lessons to, to tell? Um, uh, well, somebody who's a part of my life that you could interview. Um, actually, I would say uh, the first person who came to mind uh, was DJ Corchin. Um, he is somebody who I've collaborated with on I think 10 books now um and he's been somebody like we came up together uh as (laughs) I I I responded to his Craigslist ad for a a illustration job (laughs) like a long time ago and now we're you know uh he's one of my best friends basically and he also is just somebody who I think is very inspiring not just to me but to a lot of other people um, I would definitely say that guy would, I'd be interested to hear his take. Um, and I also just would love to hear him talk about his work. So yeah, DJ would be the guy. Awesome. If anybody wants to find out more information about anything that you're working on, where can they go online? Um, yeah, they can go on, um, uh, www.beardocomics.com. That's my website. So it's beardocomics.com. Um, that's got a lot of my my books and actually all my books that I can, that I can sell. Um, and my, a lot of my work and my convention appearances, and you can even sign up for my mailing list. I send out a monthly email that just kind of tells people where I'm at and what's new and is real low key. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at under Dan Doherty or even on the Beardo page. Um, you can, uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram under at Beardo comics. Um, I'm pretty out there already, so like it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. <laughs> awesome. Dude, it's been great uh, talking with you. A lot of great, good knowledge. Thanks for uh, chatting with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So that was my interview with Dan Doherty. More information about where you can check out all of his works will be in the show notes for this podcast at freshthepodcast.com. Now on to the Fresh is the Word, Fresh Pick of the Week. This episode's pick is the comic book Submerged via Vault Comics. The story is about Alesa Puente, who is trying to find her little brother Angel, who might be in deep trouble during one of the biggest storms to ever hit New York City. Illustrated by Lisa Sturl and colored by Stella Dia, I really connected with the mood and the look of this comic because it reminded me of the time I was stuck in New York City during Hurricane Irene in 2011. With a story written by Vida Alea, 
it really caught the realism of a vibrant city like New York when it's basically shut down and then having to deal with some supernatural bullshit. So go pick up some merch today at your local comic book store. Issue number two was just released this past Wednesday, and both issues feature cover artwork from both Lisa Sterl and another favorite of mine, Jen Bartel. Links to where you can check out more information on Submerge and all the artists involved are in the show notes at freshesthepodcast.com. And before we get out of here, I definitely want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Podcast. And plus, a reminder on how you can support the podcast. You can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and share any links that you see on the website for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. You can also subscribe to Fresh is the Word on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just type in Fresh is the Word, and it should come up pretty easily. And if you can, please leave a rating and a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. And if I do see one, I'll definitely read it on an upcoming episode. And you can also follow me online on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Omega Fresh, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh. And you can also follow Fresh is the Word online on Twitter at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. Thank you for listening. Next week will be the episode 100 celebration with episode 100 with special guest Brooklyn hip hop legend Master Ace. In episode 101 with Detroit techno legend and pioneer, Carl Craig. It'll be an exciting week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.